welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Well, it's good to be together. You doing all right this morning? As Darren said, my name is Jason. I'm from Vancouver in Canada, and it is a joy to be here. When you're in something, week in, week out, it's hard to see the thing you're in for what it is. It's hard. It's just the nature like of being in something. For me to visit here as a guest, to participate as somebody sort of, I'm in the room, but I'm kind of looking from the outside, it's quite special. This is a very profound environment. It's significant, like the singing together, the being together, the children coming in, the hugging one another, the testimony. You're part of something special, and it's a delight for me to be here. So thank you so much, team, for having me. I want to ask a question, and the question is this. How do people learn to follow Jesus? I know sometimes speakers just do rhetorical questions and we just move on, but can you just try to answer it in your head? Like, how does someone learn to follow Jesus? Like, if somebody walked in off the street, had no exposure to Christianity before, in this city, in 2023, in their bodies, with all the uniqueness of what it means to be that person, how would he or she learn to follow Jesus? And by following Jesus, I mean uh, walking with him as a friend, obeying him, his teaching, following the leading of the spirit, becoming more and more like Jesus, and then joining Jesus in the mission. How does someone learn to follow Jesus? Or another question I could ask you if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, how did you learn to follow Jesus? Or how are you learning to follow Jesus? I became a Christian when I was 13. It's interesting because I grew up all around Christianity. My parents were followers of Jesus, but I made a decision not to follow Jesus. Conscious decision. I do not want to participate in that. It was, on one sense, it was like a sense that it was not real, but on another sense for me, it was a decision that it didn't matter in my life. So I decided not to follow Jesus, but then through a series of events, God grabbed hold of my heart And I made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, not just call myself a Christian, but actually integrate my life with the teaching and way of Jesus to invite him in, transforming me from the way out and actually let it affect parts of my life, decided to follow Jesus. And because I grew up around Christianity, I I had sort of like a bit of the map of what it looked like to follow Jesus. And I don't take that for granted. Those of you who grew up in a Christian home, specifically a relatively healthy Christian home. Like, don't take that for granted. Because I had a bit of a map. Like, for example, I, 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 my dad would read the Bible in the morning. I would see that. So when I decided to follow Jesus, I knew that, like, Bible had something to do with it. I know it's just a small piece, but that's there. And I saw the way they did hospitality. Like, they opened our home to neighbors and friends. I saw the way they gave, even out of our lack, they gave to missions and evangelism and mercy. And, like, so I knew, I said these bits and pieces, but I had so many questions. Like for me as a 13 year old, like I remember like trying to open the Bible. I knew it was part of it, but I didn't understand any of it. It was so overwhelming. And then how to pray, like I'm a restless guy. I'm an antsy guy, 13 year old Jason, like couldn't sit still. How do you pray? Like, how do you talk to God? I can't hear him back. What do I say? How do people do that for 10 whole minutes, you know, or an hour? I heard people like, I pray for an hour. Like, how do you do that? What do you say the whole time? And all these questions, you know, like, how do I live out my faith in my school, which is a public school, primarily people who are not followers of Jesus? How do I deal with dating and romance and sex? How do I grow in character? 
and self-control? These are the questions I was asking myself. Like, if I'm going to do this follower of Jesus thing, like, how do I grow and, like, let his forgiveness and love make its way into every fiber of my being? So I had these questions. How do people learn to follow Jesus? That's all I'm, I'm trying to ask. How do people learn to follow Jesus? Whether you're 13, 33, or 63, how do you learn to follow Jesus? And God brought this person in my life called Ben Woodman. He was good friends with my oldest brother, Paul. And Ben was a serious follower of Jesus. And he was one of the youth leaders of the church. And he made room in his life for me. And I learned so much about following Jesus from Ben. Like, for example, like, I'd have conversations with Ben. And I'd ask him questions about life. Like, he made a lot of time for me. So I'd ask him all these questions, you know. And he would, like, integrate scripture in his processing in a way I'd never heard before. Like, he wasn't piously quoting scripture. It was like he was someone who consumed the word, brought it to memory and mind, but integrated it in his life. And so then I remember, like, asking questions, like, how do you do Bible? And I'd look at his Bible, and it was noted up and ask him questions about it. Or, like, there was this prayer meeting. I grew up in an an area outside of Vancouver called the Tri-Cities. And there was a prayer meeting at 6 a.m., And Ben used to pick me and my friends up, drive us to the church basement at 6 a.m. And I would fall asleep on the floor almost every week. No exaggeration. I just fall asleep on the floor. And I'd wake up to the sound of Ben crying out for people who don't know Jesus to come to know him. And so I learned from Ben this idea of like intercessory prayer and passionate expression. I'd spend time at his house and I would notice from time to time that there were people staying with him that were out of homes. Like we were in transition or didn't have the resource of a house. So he had people just staying with him. Or like I'd bring friends over and he'd always say, come on in. Everything in the kitchen is yours. So he had this rule that like the fridge was open, the cupboards was open. And he didn't have a lot of money, but he always had pierogies and granola. So I just have this memory as a kid of just eating so many pierogies and so much granola at Ben's house. And like, just like in retrospect, I don't know why I just, but I just bring my friends over there all the time. And here's the interesting thing. I learned so much about following Jesus from Ben. When I moved out of my house for the first time and had five roommates, guess what our rule was about the kitchen and the fridge? It's open. And I'd go buy pierogies. I'd fill the freezer. And I'd tell everybody that walked in the door, you can have any food you want. And people would stay at our home, not because it was our idea, because I saw Ben integrate his faith in such a way that gave me a window on what that could look like. I learned so much from Ben. Ben taught me to fast. He taught me about tithing. He taught me how to apologize when I made a mistake. He taught me how to dream for a city. And um, he's a disaster. Like, he's a mess. Like me and like you. (laughs) And so it wasn't that he was perfect. In fact, if anything I learned from Ben, it was that you could follow Jesus and make an impact even when you feel like you don't have your stuff together. And what it looks like to walk with a limp and have humility and repent and apologize. I learned so much from Ben. And I say all that just to make a really simple observation. Ben made room in his life for me And he taught me how to follow Jesus. Ben made room in his life for me. And he taught me how to follow Jesus. And maybe you have a similar experience. Somebody at some stage of your life, or maybe a number of people, it's always more than one, made room in their life for you. And if I could just jump ahead to the punchline, what I'm here to ask is this year, what would it look like for you to make room in your life for someone else? that they might learn to follow Jesus. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28. This is the very end of the gospel of Matthew. This is the last words that Matthew records about Jesus. So it's kind of the the climax, the crescendo of the story of Jesus, according to Matthew. 
It's a profound moment, and Jesus is talking to his closest followers, and he's giving them a charge. And listen to what he says, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. He says, then Jesus came to them, being his disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is speaking to his closest followers, his disciple. Now, disciple means almost most literally like student or learner, okay? But if you're thinking classroom, we don't have the right imagination at that point because the way in which we disciple under Jesus is like full immersion. It's apprenticeship. It's like, it's, it's information, but it's action. It's fully integrated. And so for the followers of Jesus, his disciples, they ate and drank with him. They walked with him. They spent years with him. They saw him teach and then they'd ask him questions about what he taught. They saw the way he treated other people, the way he tr- treated people who had more authority than them, less power than him. Like they, they saw his whole life and they observed and they became practitioners of the things that he taught and did. And they're working on integrating it into their life. Not perfectly. The gospels are full of examples of the disciples of Jesus um, tripping it up. But then Jesus, listen to this. Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now I'm asking you, therefore, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teach them everything I taught you. Show them everything I showed you. And don't worry, I'm with you the whole time. And so here's what we've got. It's it's so simple, but it's, it's a profound picture. It's Jesus asking disciples of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. Jesus is asking his disciples to make more disciples of Jesus. This is the fundamental building block of the Christian movement. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus or you're wrestling with all of this. One of the questions that we have to wrestle with is how did the Christian movement go from a few people without means, trying to be snuffed out by the full power and weight of Rome and the religious powers of this day? How did it manage to thrive in the first, second, third century that we're here today, thousands of years later, and there's billions of followers of Jesus? How did that happen? People taking what Jesus said very seriously. Disciples of Jesus, making more disciples of Jesus. Go and do the same. And this is how the Apostle Paul, a first century church planter, works out for himself. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now keep in mind, he's talking to new Christians, young Christians, okay? So Paul is somebody who's a follower of Jesus, radically decided to integrate his whole life in the way of Jesus. And he's speaking to this young church and he's writing these letters because he wants to make disciples. And listen to what he says. He says this, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Paul says like, follow me, as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. He's not saying, follow me instead of Jesus, right? Like that needs to be really clear. He's saying, as your disciple of Jesus, follow my example. Like learn from me, let me help inform that. And I've been thinking about like, that's a a wild statement, you know? And I just wonder what would happen or, let me just ask it of myself. I find myself asking, Jason, do you live with that kind of intentionality? Where I could say, in all of my brokenness and weakness, with all my flaws and hangups, follow me as I follow Christ. It's this picture of disciples of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus. And I believe we live in a, in a moment where we have a crisis of discipleship. 
We have a lot of talking about being Christian, but a lack of depth, a lack of resilience, a lack of integration. This is how Dallas Willard put it. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples. The greatest question, the greatest need is whether those who identify as Christians will become disciples. That is, students and apprentices and practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. So we planted a church in the middle of COVID in Vancouver. And for the first year, we couldn't meet in person. The restrictions, I think similar to here, were very intense in Vancouver. And so I'd find myself most days walking and praying, looking at the city, imagining all the people that live in Vancouver and asking the question, how do I make a disciple in this city? We don't have Sundays. And that's like the magic weapon, right? Get people in church on Sunday, it's all sorted, right? So I'm asking these questions and I'm I'm trying to get specific. Like one of the challenges with um, sometimes the way that we might do Christian faith is we keep it in the abstract so it's not accountable to our day-to-day life. So one of the challenges in moving these conversations about discipleship or evangelism or mission or generosity into specifics. And so I began to try to ask more specific questions, like how will a young man or woman in Vancouver, we could say today in Long Beach, who's in the investment banking sector or the social service sector or in the arts and media, how would they learn to follow Jesus? Or how would a new believer in our city learn to read scripture in a culture of endless distractions? You know, how might someone learn generosity in this city when it's filled with a materialism that says everything that you get is for your consumption? I'm not just talking about new believers too. Like, how does somebody who's dealing with their past, like, let Jesus bring healing to trauma and pain? Or when someone experiences great loss and devastation, how might they walk with God? Like, where will they learn? And the answer to these questions, okay, these questions I think that we're, we're probably all asking on some level. The answer to these questions is not they need to hear more sermons or they need to go to more weekend seminars or they just need to go to more church. Now, please don't miss me. I love church. I love sermons. Like, look what I'm doing right now. Like, I'm not, don't misquote me, okay? I'm not slamming these things. I love these things. But the answer to how do we help, you know, like, people learn to follow Jesus is not just more sermons. And this has kind of been our gear, you know, at least in the Western church for the last however many decades is like, okay, we got a problem with discipleship. We need, the pastor should do it. Or we need to start a new program, right? People, uh, we need, we need people to learn to pray. So we should do a prayer course. You know, we need to learn to forgive. We should do a weekend seminar on forgiveness, People need to learn to share their faith, so we should do a sermon series. And those things are all fine and good. But this stuff we're talking about is meant to be worked out in person-to-person, life-on-life, relational, nitty-gritty in the details of life, outworking it through dialogue and trial and error together in community. This stuff is meant to be worked out on one-to-one, one-to-a-few in the context of community. And that way, when there are great sermon series, and when there are great Saturday seminars, and when there are great whatever it might be courses, and I love a good prayer course that adds fuel to an outworking of these basic building blocks of Christian faith, which is one-to-one, one-to-a-few discipleships. Discipleship. And I think that we have overestimated the power of crowds. 
and programs. And we have underestimated the power of individuals investing deeply in other individuals. I want to do a little math. If you've got pen and paper or a phone handy, you can pull it out. You might want to write down a few of these numbers. If not, just track along. I'll do my best to articulate it as best as I can. Okay, here was the inspiration for this. I heard somebody say this. I read in a book. I checked the math. It's true. Um, and it just, it just rattled my brain. Like, it just was like, you know when something, you hear something and you just leave it, but then like a month later, two months later, three months, you're still thinking about that thing? This was the thing. The person, I can't remember if I read it or it was an article or I heard it, but they said, okay, if one person invests meaningfully in one other person's discipleship for one year, and those two people the following year each invest in one person. So now it's two people investing in another two, so now you got four. And then the following year, those four people just spend one year intentionally discipling one other person. So now we've got eight. And then the, the next year, it's like those eight people are intentionally discipling. How many years till 7.8 billion people, the whole world, are impacted? Anybody know the number? Maybe you've heard this before. It's 33 years. I thought it would be at least 1,000. 33 years. Most of you will be around in 33 years. Like, that's wild. That's a wild thought. Now, if you're like me, you're poking holes in it. You're like, well, that's not realistic, and it's like one-to-one, like you're, there's going to be an attrition rate, and it takes long enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, <laughs> just, just relax. I'm going to introduce you to a formula in a moment that accounts for that. <laughs> but when I heard that, I thought, that's cool. And then a month later, I thought, Oh my goodness, I'm living my life trying to build crowds at the expense of going deep with a few. And the whole crowd mentality, that's where we say to ourselves, I got to opt out of that. I'm not qualified for that. But all of us can participate in the most valuable, potent thing, which is to go deep with a few. And the math shows it's our best shot at seeing renewal in a city. Let me explain. Uh, Long Beach the population is 456,000 people, 456,000 people. And um, sociologists talk about something called a cultural tipping point. Maybe you've heard this before. And the idea is when a critical mass within a broader community takes on a certain set of values or habits or rhythms, what is the critical mass required that it affects the whole of the people group? And the stats say between 10 and 20% is a cultural tipping point, between 10 and 20%. That is to say, that is if, is if like 15% of the city of Long Beach began to inhabit a set of values or principles or practices, that the whole city, although they might not agree with or even align with them, would be impacted in some way by those. So I heard Tim Keller, who's a pastor out of New York, describe what's called a gospel tipping point. And a gospel tipping point is the point at which there's a critical mass of Christians embodying the way of Jesus in such a way, not that everyone's a follower of Jesus, but the whole city can taste the goodness of what that means. And so I'm asking the question of the city in Vancouver, and I wonder if you're asking the question of the city of Long Beach or wherever you're from, what does it look like to see a gospel tipping point? So let's do the math. 20% of Long Beach is 91,200 people. That's 20%. And so if we could see 91,200 people embody the way of Jesus, we could see this place a better place to live for everyone there. And this is some of the language of scripture. It talks about an inbreaking of God's kingdom in such a way. And that's why you use language of new heavens, new earth, invading this present reality. And we get to participate in that in a very real way. And so I began to think, okay, how 
What does that look like using some math? And so it's like, we're not starting with one person. We're starting with however many Christians there are. And I tried to do the research for Long Beach about how many Christians, but it's all census data of people who like culturally identify as Christians at this extraordinarily high percent, over 50%, you know. But let's just say, and I think we can agree this, that there's at least 2%. So maybe like 60% of people who say they're Christians, it's just by like name, but not by practice. Let's say 2% of the city, not perfect, not Toy like Christ, just like his disciples, like obviously tons of warts and limps and bruises and inconsistencies, but serious but integrating the way of Jesus in their life. You track with me? If there's 2%, so that's 9,120 people. So imagine there's 9,120 people, 2%, 2% of the city of Long Beach, they're serious about following Jesus. And instead of just running church, which I think we should do Sunday services, instead of just doing conferences and events and courses and programs, they just decided for five years I'm going to invest deeply in one person. Because I realize one year is not enough, but five years, I think you can really make a dent. And you might be saying, well, it's longer than five years. Of course, it's a lifetime, but you can do more than one. But I'm just saying, if 9,120 people invested deeply for five years in one other person in their discipleship, so I want to give my life away to one other person that they might learn to follow Jesus. And then I added to the math a 20% attrition rate. Realize that not everybody sees it through. Like some people opt out of the discipleship journey. So if 9,120 people in the city of Long Beach decided to invest deeply in one person for five years each, and then after those five years, those now 18,240 people invested for the next five years with a 20% attrition rate, how many years till we would see a gospel tipping point for the glory of God in this city? 25 years, 45 years, and the whole city's changed. 25 years, gospel tipping point. Now again, there's flaws in this model, but don't miss the point. We've overestimated the power of crowds and programs. We've underestimated the powers of individuals impacting individuals. And here's the thing, every single one of us is invited. Every one of us. Because sometimes we tell ourselves, like, I can't do that. That's not for me. That's for like, that's for people like Darren. But that's not the point. There's not a select few. We're all invited. Here's the vision. The vision is that we would be a people of disciples. So each of us saying, I'm, I'm a disciple. I'm signed up for the program, you know. That we would be a people of disciples making disciples. And this is built on a very important principle from the teachings of Jesus. And this is the principle God, in his design and sovereignty, uses people to help other people follow him. He's the gardener, but his tools are people. His spirit's at work. He uses the trials of life and circumstances, spiritual practice and formation, but he uses people as part of that equation to help people learn to follow him. And so here's the invitation. As we stand on the precipice of a year, here we are at the beginning of 2023, asking ourselves, what might we give ourselves to this year? I'm here to say, give your life away for the purpose of helping someone else learn to follow Jesus. Every follower of Jesus intended to play a part in at least one other person growing in following Jesus. I know many of you are doing this. And today might just be about naming it, adding a measure of intentionality and thoughtfulness to it. You're doing it. Parents, you're doing it. Friends, you're doing it together. This is a walking together, but this is about an intentionality. But for some people here, this is actually about God awakening something to you that wasn't there before, where you've somehow disqualified from yourself from that investing other side of the equation. 
Every one of us invited. And when we hear that, when I say you're invited to make disciples, I can hear sort of the arguments in the room. I can hear it. Not literally, but I can feel it right now. Because I feel, can I just name some of them, some of the reasons why we might opt out? The first is we might feel underqualified. I think a lot of us feel that. I think we feel underqualified. I'm not ready. You know, how can I teach someone else to pray when I feel like I struggle to just pray myself? How do I help somebody walk in integrity when I see the dissonance in my own life? How can I help people build a godly family when I feel like my family is just being held at the seams? I feel that. We feel underqualified. But I want to push back on that a little bit. First of all, Jesus isn't asking for a resume. He's commanding. He says, do it. Second, and this is prophetic for some people here, you've got more in you to give away than you think. You've got way more in you than you think. I got to share this message at my home church at The Way um, a couple months ago. And I want to be sensitive as I share this story. Um, gentleman who I know well, he's in his 50s. He came up afterwards, we prayed together. And uh, this year, he's part of a year-long addiction program. Because over the last couple of years, very successful businessman, but he got himself trapped up in addiction. And so he spends his weekdays living on this recovery farm called Wagner Hills, which I love a ton. I'll tell you a bit more about them in just a moment. And he just found himself wrestling with this idea of being underqualified. And what I just, I felt so sad about, because such a lie of the enemy. I'm like, this is a guy who's been following Jesus for a long time. And sin got the best of him. And the enemy is using that to tell him that now he's not qualified to give his life away. But here's what I know. I know the impact, because my friend Jason leads this recovery center. I know the impact this individual is having on the other guys and girls in the program. So he is making disciples. But he's told himself because of what's happened or is inconsistent, he's disqualified from disciple making. Here's what's so interesting. Like there are standards according to scripture about leadership in the local church. And so you hear about people being disqualified, ministers, or being removed from their position. But do you know that while they might not be able to return to that position, depending on what they've done and the authority that they're under, the next day they can invest in seeing other people around them come to know Jesus and make disciples. And that's why I like push against this whole conversation. Like, oh, what does it look like to get them back in the game? They can make disciples the next day. All of us are invited to open up our homes, to crack the Bible, invite someone, say, hey, I feel like I'm a work in progress. I know you're a work in progress. Let's do this together. Let's open scripture. Let's talk about faith together. Let's grow together. It's not about who's ahead, who's behind. It's saying, hey, would you intentionally open up your life, make room in your life, and say, let's learn to follow Jesus together. And here's why this is so important. If you feel like you're underqualified, here's the trick. Here's why that's such a a, a scary train of thought. Because the way we grow in Jesus is ministry to others. You abide deeply but it can't just be this personal, hidden abiding. It's an abiding that's meant to work its way out in ministry and evangelism and discipleship. And so it's always fueled. Like, do you see? It's kind of this ecosystem of serving and growing in community. Yes, there's a hidden, alone discipleship process, but there's a together walking in community. And the way in which some of you feel like you've hit a plateau in your walk with God. Do you know what's going to break you through that plateau? Opening up your life to some other people and say, hey, will you learn to follow Jesus with me? I might not have much to teach you, but let's learn together. It will break through that because you find yourself with somebody new in their faith. Maybe they're like, hey, how do you pray? And you're like, oh man, 
I haven't prayed in a long time. And it's going to fuel you. Or they ask a good question about scripture. I'm not really sure. So you go on the answer together. I'm telling you that when we begin to intentionally disciple people, it unlocks growth in our life. So the first reason I hear it is like, I can't do this. Because I really believe everyone here who's a follower of Jesus is invited to be part of this. The first reason we feel underqualified, the second is we feel too busy. And I get it, our plates are so full. And when you hear this message, it's like one more thing. There's prayer meetings. There's activities. There's school pickup and drop off. There's work. And now this is just one more thing I've got to do. And I just want to push on that just subtly in two ways. First, it doesn't necessarily have to be one more thing. Like it really doesn't. Like for example, what are you already doing that you can invite someone into? So if part of your daily rhythm is preparing a meal for your family or community, I assure you there's a young man or woman who would love to learn how to do that. Maybe they didn't grow up in a family that that was modeled for them. Invite them into the preparation and the meal. And while you're cooking a ragu, talk about faith. That's the stuff. Some of you go to the gym six days a week. One of those days, would you come with me? Spot me as I try to hit my PRs. <laughs> and let's talk about the things of God. It doesn't ha- You're walking to pick up your kids from school. Would you walk with me as I pick up my kids? Oh, yeah, but it's going to be distracting because it's perfect. Perfect. That's where they need to see faith at work, in the busyness, the nitty-gritty. It's not just binders at coffee shops. It's messy day-to-day life. You've got room in your life. But even if you don't, what would be more worth your time? Like what's, we're talking about like helping people walk with the lover of your soul. This is like, it's like, what would be more worth, like, when, you, when, I, when I think about what Ben did for me, it's like I'm so thankful. And just there's, there's, in the business of life, we never have this clarity, but in this moment, there's the clarity to see if we could do that for one person. Be like, that's the stuff. What better to give your life to? So don't say you're underqualified. Don't say you're too busy. And the third reason why I hear it is that we've overcomplicated it. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated. I think right away when we think discipleship, we think binders, worksheets, homework, thick books, tons of meetings. Like, and it's like, if that's your approach, like that's great, but that's not the general approach. It's very, very simple. And I learned this from a friend of mine called Daryl Johnson. So he's in his 70s and he's been following Jesus for a lot longer than I have. And I asked him if he would spend time connecting that I could learn from him about following Jesus. And he said, sure. And Daryl's like, he writes books and stuff. So I was like, kind of like, man, this is going to be good. Like, what's he going to, he's like, come over to my house on Thursday. We'll go for a walk. I'm like, what is he going to do? Like, how is he, like, I'm just like gearing up. Like, this is going to be something, some sort of like Jedi stuff he's going to do. Like, there's going to be like, he's going to, like, it's going to be amazing. And we, we, we got together and he's like, why don't we go for a walk? So I went for a walk. And about 15 minutes into the walk, he's like, well, why don't we open the Bible? I said, okay, sure. And he said, let's start at Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. He's like, we'll just read 10 verses and then we'll stop. And so then he read the verses and he said, what do you think? And I was like, well, Daryl, to be honest, what I'm here to know is what you think. (laughs) Um, And so we talked about the first 10 verses of Psalm 119. And then eventually it meandered into just general conversation. At the very end, he prayed for me. And we do that every Thursday 
except for the Thursdays we don't. And, <laughs> and um, so here's what I learned, and everyone can do this. This is how you, you make disciples. Because you can do it without intentionality and consistency. You don't have to have that, but it makes a huge difference. So you need to make room in your schedule. Open the Bible. Talk about it. Pray for that person before they leave. Three things. And then just talk, be together, do life. And there's actually a bonus one because... I started realizing after a few months of hanging out with Daryl that he was praying for me behind the scenes. Because every once in a while he'd pull out his little notebook, sneak out of his pocket, and like he'd say things that he wanted to remember. And I just started picking up over time, like this guy's praying for me when I'm not in the room. So that's the fourth. So it's four things actually, it's not three. It's make time for them, show up, open the Bible, pray for them before they leave, and then pray for them throughout the week. And we can all do that. You're not not underqualified. You're not too busy. And it's not too complicated. And what would happen? What would happen if we didn't wait any longer and we took Jesus serious as we're going to make disciples? What if we acknowledge that we've overestimated the power of crowds and underestimated the power of you and I investing deeply in a few? What would happen in our community if we got a hold of this this year? Disciples making disciples. I believe we'd witness a gospel movement that not only impacts this generation, but generations to come. And I could stop there, but I just have a few like best practices, if you can stick with me for a few more minutes before we pray, just a few best practices. Because I, I really, I don't want it just to be an idea, like I want to equip us to just get after this. A few things that are maybe best practice in the right word, a few sort of things to remember. The first thing to remember is this happens over years. It happens over years. If I had a chart, what I'd draw is like, you know, like a graph. You know, if, if time's the bottom axis, like over 60 years, and then the other axis is like maturity in Christ, what we want discipleship journey to look like is just up and to the right, you know? Over time, growing in maturity. But what is your walk with God look like? I'll tell you what mine's look like. It's looked like a little bit of growth, summer camp, undergrad, um, and then some growth, and then devastating loss that caused me to spiral, and then somehow became the, cap, the source of me grounding deeper and a deeper abiding with God. Like, it's just been all over the place. And the reason why I say it happens over time is because as we walk with people through the ups and downs of lives, Like when we talk about disciples making disciples, it's about walking together like fellow sojourners and God allows life to happen. And the task in every season is just to help people make that next step. Sometimes the task is teaching someone to read the Bible. Sometimes the task is being there with them so they're not alone in their pain. And that can be discipleship. Sometimes it looks like, I think you should get baptized. Let's let's, Let's look at that together and let's dunk you. And sometimes it looks like, you're not alone, I have no words but I'm going to pray as you grieve the loss. And that's life. It happens over many years. Second thing that you need to remember is you're just one piece of the puzzle. I talked a lot about Ben, but I didn't mention Matt or Carrie or Joel or Andrew or all my mom and dad, all of these other people who've been part of my discipleship journey. And this is good news 
because we're just one piece of the puzzle, just a tiny piece of the puzzle. So you might be in somebody's life for like one week, like Bill Rice, my cabin leader at Anvil Island Camp off the coast of British Columbia when I came to know Jesus. One week in my life, and I'm forever grateful for him. And then there's people who've been in my life for years. And you might be in someone's life for any number of times, any level of depth of trust, but you're one piece of the puzzle. It really does take a community. Third, I mentioned this already, intentionality and consistency made it make a huge difference. And so name it. Name that you're doing it and have somebody in mind. Name it. Now, when you name it, don't say to that person, you are my disciple. I find, <laughs> I find that uncomfortable in our cultural context. And they're like, they're like, I didn't sign up for that. So don't do that, okay? Don't. Please don't. But um, here's what naming it's meant for me. So I pastor church that has hundreds of people in it, and I have a staff with dozens of people in it. But I can't, be, I can't go deep with all of them. So while I do the whole, I have to consciously name a few that I'm just going to make extraordinary amount of room in my life. So if Rach and I are, are making dinner, there's a few people that I text and say, do you want to come over for dinner? And for me, and maybe it's just my wiring, there's just a few people who don't know the Lord who I feel uniquely to make room in my life for. Rach and I pray about this. And then a few people who are walking with God that we're meant to invest in. And then there's just life, like trying to keep open, follow the way of the spirit and just see who he brings in, not trying to close doors, but something about the intentionality of naming it. So one of the exercises you could do, and I just wonder this morning, even right now, I imagine there's names dropping to your heart of a few people that God's already put in your life or people that you could extend an invitation to. And the invitation's not even to a discipleship journey. The invitation's to relationship and time and space. And then within that context, seeing where trust can take you over time. So name it and begin to pray for them and then show up regularly for them. Intentionality and consistency make a huge difference. Fourth, be a disciple as you make disciples. The best gift that you can give those you're investing in is your own discipleship. I know I've asked a lot of questions this morning. Let me ask a few questions. Let me read a few questions I'm asking myself right now. As I lead a church, as I disciple others, I invite you to ask this. Am I a disciple myself? Am I signed up today to be an apprentice of Jesus? Am I pursuing discipleship through others? Am I ordering my life around the practices of Jesus? Am I prioritizing his word and prayer? Am I spending time with him? Am I obeying him? Am I joining him on mission? The best gift that you can give those you walk with is your own discipleship. And it's the presence of Jesus in our life, the example of a life surrendered that's the most impactful thing we can give to those around us. Parents, the best thing you can give your kids, the best thing you give your kids is you prioritizing your discipleship. Let them see you pray. Let them see you repent. Let them see you practice hospitality. Let them see your generosity. Let, you see, let them see you being a growing person. So what we often do, not just as parents, but in context of community, is we realize where we're at. And we need to mask it because we're ashamed. And so we project somewhere we're not. And that gap, that gap does toxic things for our interior world. But one thing it does that we, I just, we don't talk about a lot is it prevents people from seeing that you're a growing person by the grace of God. So here's my encouragement. Be where you're at and walk with Jesus and let him change you. I'm not saying that doesn't mean, you know, show up in your best way, but it's like not to mask it, 
to being a growing person. One of the best things we can do as we make disciples is to be disciples ourselves. I think that this is the invitation this morning. Second week in 2023, am I a disciple and am I making a disciple? Two simple questions that could rock our world. Fifth, I'm coming to the close. Point to Jesus more than yourself. Disciple making might include some mentorship and might include some advice giving, but it's not that. It's not that. You actually don't have to be an expert to invest in people's discipleships because what we're doing when we gather together, like let me give you an example. So my friends Nick and Dan and Jaden and Jeremy, they meet together on Thursday mornings and they're doing it together. There's not one person in the room that's like the disciple maker and the rest are the disciples. They're just doing it together. And they meet together to seek God together, to open the Bible and journey together. And the point isn't that one person's the mentor. One person's got all the answers. The point is that they're pointing one another to Jesus. So when we disciple people, what we're doing is pointing them to Jesus. They come. Have you ever had this before? Someone comes to you with a question. They didn't get into the school they applied for. They lost the person that they wanted to marry. Like they they got dumped or some devastating loss happens or having a crisis of faith. They come to you with a question and everything inside of you is like, my job here is to give the answer. And I feel that. Do you feel that? Like, what do I say? I want to let you off the hook. You don't have to have the answers. All we do is stay with people and then turn gaze towards Jesus. We just ask the question quietly in our heart, what might the Holy Spirit be doing in this moment? Like all of us can do this. Say, hey, I'm with you. That sounds really hard. And you listen and you listen and you listen and say, hey, could we take some time before we go to pray together? And just point their eyes towards Jesus. Questions like this. What do you think that Jesus might be teaching you in this season? Or what part of God's character do you think he most wants to reveal to you in this season? So do you see what we're doing? We're not giving answers necessarily. You might have some really practical answers to give, but we're pointing to Jesus more ourselves. And here's the sixth and final thought is God is the head disciple maker. This is what God is doing. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing. When I got here this morning, uh, your team is amazing prayer huddle before the service. And they said, can we pray for you? And I said, yep. It's hard to say no in an environment like that, you know. I wouldn't have said no. I'm just saying that wasn't really an option. <laughs> and... Um, Someone asked, like, what is it you most want to see happen this morning or most want to do? And the thought that first went to my head was, I want to set the sails of my words to the wind of the Spirit. And this is like, what do I want? What does a disciple of Jesus want to do? Is to set the sails of our life to the wind of the Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit doing on planet Earth right now? And how do I get involved with it? What's the Holy Spirit doing in Long Beach right now? How do I get involved with it? What's the Holy Spirit doing on my street, in my workplace? I want to set the sails of my life to the wind of the Spirit. And one of the main things that the Holy Spirit is doing on planet Earth today is making disciples. It's what the Spirit is doing. It's what he's doing. And the heart of the follower of Jesus says, I want in on the action. I want in on the action. The Holy Spirit is a head disciple maker. Sometimes you can find yourself walking with someone and it feels like they walk away can be really discouraging. It's important to remember that it's not on our shoulders. We're not the ones doing this. God's the one doing it. And he can handle deconstruction. 
and he can handle compromise. He can handle confusion. And God has a tendency of finishing what he starts. And I don't know if we'll see it in this lifetime or in the new heavens and new earth, but I think we'll have a chance to look back and we will have zero regrets about one ounce of energy we ever made into investing in someone's life. Not one ounce of energy invest in other people learning to follow Jesus is ever wasted. It can't be wasted. Okay, one more story, then I'm going to pray. So a couple months ago, I'm at Wagner Hills, that recovery farm I mentioned to you. And I call it a farm because it's a working place. They produce amazing blueberries and honey and all sorts of things like that. And everyone there um, has come out of addiction, drugs or alcohol. And they, it's, it's, it's an amazing environment. Like, just the presence of the Holy Spirit there is just amazing. And so whenever I have the opportunity to go and share with the with the residents, I love to do that. So I, it's been an hour from my house. So a couple months ago, I drove out with my friend Chad and uh, I got to share with the residents. And after we, I shared a message, um, a number of them kind of queued up in a line just to connect. And I love having the conversations because I love hearing their stories. So maybe it's like eight people in the queue. And um, I noticed right away the person at the back of the line. And I felt bad because I, I wanted to hear each person's story. So it took about 25 minutes maybe 20 minutes before I got to the last person. And the last person comes forward and um, he goes, are you Bill Ballard's son? I go, yeah, that's my dad. And then this is what he says. He goes, over 30 years ago, there was like an outreach thing happening in our city. In our family, we weren't Christians, but one of my sisters got connected and they ended up at in your dad's youth group. My dad was a youth pastor. And one of the daughters got saved, and then a second child, and then all five kids and the two parents, the whole household, became part of the family of God in this community and radical transformation. And so he, this guy is talking to me. He goes, is your dad Bill Ballard? And he goes, yeah, your dad helped our family come to know the Lord and learn to follow Jesus. And he says, but me, he goes, I... Um, he goes, I really felt out of place in church. I had a lot of hurt. And so I walked away pretty early on. And over 30 years, my life spiraled, and I found myself deep, deep in addiction and pain. And during COVID, he hit rock bottom. And he came back to the Lord, and he signed up for Wagner. And so I'm chatting with this guy. And he, I'm just giving him a big hug. I hear his story, you know. And he's just like, he looks so healthy. But a year ago, he was in such a dark place. And I am driving home that night and I call my dad and I don't get a hold of him. But then a few minutes later, my dad calls me back and it's like he's out on the street. He had to step out of whatever he was at. And he's like, hey, Jay. I'm like, hey, dad. I said, dad, do you remember so-and-so? He's like, yeah, of course. Um, I said, I was with him tonight and he's following the Lord. He hit rock bottom, but he's at Wagner and he's serving Jesus and he's getting healthy. And my dad just goes, and he goes, God is so good. Because for my dad, 30 years went by and it seemed like all of that was for naught. And the enemy and sin had grabbed this guy's life and he had no idea where it was. But then 30 years later, discovering God's faithfulness, that those seeds that were planted have grown into full life. And this gentleman now, on this campus is discipling other people. 
no one's disqualified. No one's underqualified. Everyone invited in. And we might not know where it goes, but God finishes what he starts. So there's an invitation for you and for me today to set the sails of our life to the wind of the Spirit, to be disciples who make disciples. Let me pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.